Open to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and what we're going to be looking at this morning is the work of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in our lives. If you notice, many of the songs we sang this morning was the power of the Holy Spirit, talking about how there's, where the Spirit is, there's liberty, and the Spirit of God does a great work in our lives as we submit to the governance of the Holy Spirit. And so we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 as we work, work our way through the New Testament. If you're new to Calvary Chapel, what we do is we just study the Bible. We go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book through the New Testament on Sunday mornings. And then what we do on Wednesday nights is we pick Old Testament books and we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Old Testament. We are a Bible-oriented church. We believe in the Word of God. We believe that as you study the Word of God, you will grow in respect to your salvation. And so we just teach it and we do the best we can to learn it and live it. So we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and we're talking about the work of the Spirit in our lives. Um, Interesting. 2 Corinthians 3.18, the last verse we'll look at today, says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. There it is, the Spirit. And what, what the work of the Spirit, according to that last verse, is to do in our lives is it changes us from glory to glory into the image of Christ. We're all given the image of Christ, but because of our sin, it's been scarred. And what happens is as you develop this relationship with Christ and you behold his face, you have a relationship with him, he changes us to be more and more like him. He gets us back into his image. And every single believer, if you've confessed Christ as your Lord, you have the Holy Spirit. It's taken up residency in your life. We're told in Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, in him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit, there it is, the Holy Spirit of promise who's given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. If you've received Christ, you've been given the Holy Spirit, it's been deposited in your life, it's sealed you, it's a mark of, that you're owned now by God, you're his possession, and what's gonna happen now is as that Holy Spirit is submitted to and you're walking in the Spirit, it changes you to be more and more like Christ. Remember when it happened to me? 1978, 40 years ago. I heard the gospel and understood it for the first time fully. I bowed my knee to Christ, and I received Christ as my Savior and my Lord. The Holy Spirit came upon my life, and it was a matter of weeks and then months. It started changing. I remember having a conversation with my mom, and my mom looking across our little coffee table and breakfast one morning and saying, you know what, Chip, my nickname's Chip, because I'm John G. the III, I'm a chip off the old block. I know some of you are saying, yeah, you're a real blockhead is what you are. But I'm a chip off the old block. And so she said, Chip, something, something that's just kind of, she's shaking her hand, head like, like, what's the matter, Mom? And she goes, ever since you got involved in this Christianity thing so much and everything, it's, I don't know what to do. And I said, why, Mom? And she goes, I don't have to worry about you anymore. I go, really? That's, it was like this, she had this like, I don't know what to do. I don't worry about you anymore. And I said, why, Mom? Don't you worry? She goes, because you, you changed. And you don't go to those parties all night anymore on the weekends. You go to Bible studies in church. You don't swear like you used to swear. Your mouth has even changed. Your friends have even changed. Your associations have changed. Your life's changed. And that was such a blessing to me as a new Christian, seeing my mom seeing the whole work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, still make mistakes, still this day 40 years later, still make mistakes, but I'm in process. And the process of the Holy Spirit is to change us from 
glory to glory into the image of Christ. And there's six ways we're going to see this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that the Holy Spirit does this work of changing us from glory to glory into the image of Christ. So let's dig in and see those six ways. Let's jump right in. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 1. If you're there, say amen. Here we go. Verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need as some letters of commendation to you or from you? You, Corinthians, are our letter, written in, written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on the tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Now, a little background on this. Paul, if you remember, had opposition in the Corinth, in the city of Corinth that he's writing this letter to. There were some saying that he wasn't a real apostle. There were some denying his authority as a leader, even though he had started the church and led many of them to Christ. We know that there was opposition uh, just from 2 Corinthians 10.10, when we get to it in a few weeks, it says some of the people there in Corinth were saying this. They said, Paul's letters are weighty and strong, but his personal appearance is unimpressive and his speech is contemptible. They were just belittling Paul in Corinth, some of these uh, opposers of Paul. And so Paul says, beginning of this chapter, he says, do, do I need a letter of commendation? Do I need someone to write a, a, an ordination letter for me saying who I am as an apostle to you guys? He says, I don't need a letter of commendation. Why does Paul say that? Because he says, many of you Corinthians are my letter of commendation. And, and you're a letter because your life has been changed by the Holy Spirit because of the gospel I preached to you. And now you're a letter not written with ink, but by the Spirit of God. That Spirit of God has written in your lives a different life. You've been changed. And you're a letter of accommodation for me because your life has been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting in that third verse it says, uh, you're a letter of Christ, not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Interesting. You know that's true for us too? As you walk with Christ and the spirit of God does a work in your lives, you become the only Bible some people out there will read because they see the work of Christ in your life. We're gonna see in the next chapter, we're just earthen vessels, another version says, we're just jars of clay, but 2 Corinthians chapter four says, we have a treasure within us, and that's Christ and his Holy Spirit inside our lives. And so what we become now, as we walk with Christ, is a letter of Christ to a world that's looking at our lives. And so the first part of of the work of the Spirit in our lives is this, the Holy Spirit changes our hearts. And our hearts are changed because we're living epistles written by the Spirit, and our hearts aren't hearts of stone anymore, Paul says. Our hearts are hearts that are being touched and written upon by the Holy Spirit. You know, it's very important that our hearts are being changed by the Holy Spirit, I, one of my favorite songs was Keith Green's song. We sang, the last song we sang was Keith Green, um, you know, about uh, uh, just coming into his presence and allowing him to just, again, his glory and seeking his face, you know. But one of my favorite songs also by Keith Green is this, is, is create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And I tell you what, church, the first work of the Spirit that Paul's talking about here is having hearts that are being transformed from hearts of stone that are hard to hearts that are softened by the Holy Spirit where we become living epistles and our hearts 
are, are in the process of transformation by the Spirit of God. Living letters. When I was a kid growing up, I grew up in a house that was tough, um, loving, supportive parents, but um, dad had a, a, a serious issue for 35 years with alcoholism. It brought havoc to the Hoppy House. It was tough. It's very tough. Brought all kinds of issues and marriage issues, everything else like that. It's really a difficult thing to go through. If you've been through that, you know what I'm talking about. And I remember uh, oftentimes I'd be shipped out, my sister and I, on the weekends, we'd go to Mimi and Papa's house, which is my grandma and grandpa on my mom's side. And I remember going to Mimi and Papa's house, and it was just a place of refuge amidst the chaos. And I remember going there, and Mimi DeBoer was my grandma on my mom's side. And she was a PK. You know what a PK is? Who knows what a PK is? What is it? She's a preacher's kid. And she was, uh, her, her dad was a Christian Reformed Dutch pastor. And uh, she just, Mimi had a heart that was so soft towards the things of the Spirit. And I remember going there and just, just this place of refuge and just seeing the compassion and the love and the caring, the Christ-likeness in Mimi's heart and just saying, this is a safe, good place for me. I wasn't even saved yet, but I just sensed that spirit and that work in her heart to the place I loved going to her house. And Papa, same thing. He was a strong Christian also. My grandpa on my mom's side, he was an avid reader. He had, when he passed, I got hundreds of books from his library because he read Christian books like they were going out of business. And he loved God. He loved learning about God. And these two, Mimi and Papa, were like living letters to me of the truth of Jesus Christ because of the way their hearts have been softened and changed by the Holy Spirit and by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hey, let's be that for other people, amen? Let's be Christians that have softened hearts, living letters, not written with ink, but by the Spirit of God. And so when people see our lives, they see hearts that have been changed by the Spirit of God, amen? And then it goes on, verse four, such confidence we have through Christ towards God, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives what? Gives life. There's life in the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting here, Paul, again, is defending his apostleship, and he said, hey, listen, we don't have any confidence in the flesh. We're not confident in ourselves at all, but our confidence comes from who? Confidence comes from God. Our adequacy, Paul says, does not come from who we are or as human beings. Our adequacy comes from this new covenant of the Spirit. And the Spirit of God is what made Paul adequate in the apostleship and the ministry that God's called him to, and he's pointing to that. The word adequacy is competency. It's ability. It's the ability to be successful in what you're called to do. And that's the second thing that we see here, that Paul says the work of the Spirit is to change our hearts uh, by the Spirit, to be soft hearts instead of hearts of stone. The second work of the Spirit in our life that Paul's talking about here is the Spirit of God makes us adequate. Adequate for what? Paul's saying my adequacy is from Christ and the Spirit to do what God's called me to do. And same with you. Your adequacy, your competency, your ability to do what God's called you to do as a Christian and in your daily life doesn't come from yourself. Your adequacy comes from the Spirit of God. And that's why we're told in Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses 
And Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth, there's power in the Spirit to give you the ability to do what God's called you to do. Every single Christian is called to be a witness. Sometimes we feel weak in that. Sometimes we feel we're not adequate to be a witness for Christ just because of the lives we live and the struggles that we have. But listen, your adequacy is not in yourself. Your adequacy is in the Spirit of God to do what God's called you to do. The Spirit of God is enough to give you the adequacy that you need in Christ. Paul put it this way, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. He said, when I came to you, brethren, I didn't come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. But my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. But what was it in? Demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men but on the power of God. We're not adequate in ourselves. We can't do anything for the kingdom in our flesh. But our adequacy comes from the spirit of God being in our lives. And we have the power, the word power there in Acts 1.8 is dunamos. We get the word dynamite from it. There's dynamite power in our lives to make a difference for the kingdom in our daily lives, at work, in your neighborhood, in your extended family, you want to be a witness, you want to be able to do ministry among people that matter to you, then realize your adequacy is not in your flesh, it's in the Spirit of God working in you and through you. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers that ever lived, they call him the Prince of Preachers. I was reading about him this week, and he was an amazing guy because he, he had the first mega church in the world, the 1800s. He had... 5,000 people a week coming to hear him preach in the Metropolitan Tabernacle Church in London, England. It's unheard of back in the 1800s, a church that big. And it was amazing because he had a furnace room in the bottom of his church, and it was filled with people before each time they met for church. And you know what those people in the bottom of the church were doing? They were praying. Praying. And Charles Spurgeon would go up to his pulpit with 5,000 people there, and he, according to John MacArthur, who's done a lot of research on Charles Spurgeon also, he'd bring, he'd bring just one note card with just some bullet points on it. And he preached for an hour off one little note card with some bullet points on it. And there was, by the time, towards the middle or in the end of his ministry, it was, it was so amazing, the, the, the spirit of God speaking through him, that there was reporters there taking dictation notes, and the manuscripts of what he spoke would be sent around the world, including America, from London. Because there was just such potency and such power in his messages. It was just from four or five bullet points or, or just a small outline, and he preached for an hour off that. But you know what he would do before he got up to the stage with 5,000 people there? He'd walk up to the stage, as he's walking up, say, the Holy Spirit is more than enough. 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 Then he preached. Where did Charles Spurgeon get the adequacy, the competency to bring such a powerful message to thousands of people and to people around the world? And still to this day, preachers study his sermons and use it as commentary. It was from the Holy Spirit. Now, you don't need to preach to 5,000 people, but if I know you like I think I know you, you want to make a difference in your worlds, and the only way you're going to be adequate to be the witness God's called you to be is by the power of the Holy Spirit in you and through you. The Holy Spirit makes us adequate. Amen? Then Paul goes on, and he says this, verse 7, but if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones 
came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. Interesting. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more than that which remains is in glory. Now Paul's going to make some references here in these scriptures. Old covenant, new covenant. Old covenant was the law. The new covenant is grace and the Holy Spirit. Old covenant was established by Moses when he went up to where? What mountain? Do you remember? Mount Sinai. He was there for 40 days and 40 nights. Didn't eat or drink for 40 days, 40 nights. Supernaturally sustained. And he was meeting with God with a burning bush there. And when he came down from Mount Sinai, he came down and they had to put a veil on his face. Because his face was glowing from the glory of God. Now, we're going to read in the scripture today, it faded. And he kept that veil over his face because he didn't want the, the people to see as he came down that the glory was fading. But now what Paul's talking about here is glory. Glory. You know, that's the third thing that the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. Just as Moses entered into God's presence and his, he glowed with the glory of God, God wants you to experience his glory also. The word glory there is used eight times in the verses I just read. It's, in the Greek, it's doxa. It means this. It means dignity, honor. In the Old Testament, it's kabod. In the Old Testament, it meant weightiness and heaviness. And that's one of the things that God wants to, through the Spirit, let us experience. And we're going to see in the last verse of this chapter, we experience it when we come into his presence and behold his face in worship, in prayer, in church. We behold his face, and then we behold his glory. His glory. I felt it this morning. I don't know about you, you did. But I, I, did you feel it this morning? When we were in worship, what a beautiful name. And Brooke was leading us in that song. I, I felt his glory. It's power. And I love experiencing his glory. Because you know why? You know why it's important to experience his glory? Not just for spiritual goosebumps. You want to experience his glory because his glory is what changes us. Changes us. When I was in seminary out in Los Angeles, Los Angeles, left coast, <laughs> you know, just wild, weird stuff going on out there, but some of the best churches in our country are in California. Amazing. And I'll never forget going to this one church. It was called Church on the Way in Van Nuys, California. The pastor at the time was a guy by the name of Jack Hayford. I remember walking in there with some of the other seminarians I was going to seminary with, and as soon as I walked through the middle of the door, wow, just felt God's weighty presence even before the worship started. And then the worship started. Jack Hayford, the pastor, there's a guy that wrote the song Majesty. That goes way back, I know. But some of you know the song I'm talking about. And then they started that worship service, and I think we even sang it, a song that he wrote, Majesty. And there was just, wow, the worship. There was like a couple thousand people there, but the worship was so strong, I felt almost wiped out by the worship. And then after the worship happened, then Jack Hafer got up there and just felt anointed in the message he was giving. And then at the end, he gave an altar call. Literally dozens of people came, not just raise their hand, they came streaming down the aisles to get saved. And after we were done with that service, I just, whoa. 
I was almost wiped out spiritually because of the, the glory, the glory that we experienced in that service. And then I, after that, I bought a book by Jack Hayford. It's called Glory in Your House, written by Jack Hayford. And I realized why there was such power in that worship service. It's because he, every time before they have services, the afternoon before they have services or the day before they have services, he walks through that whole 2,000-seat sanctuary and he prays over every single chair. And God gives them words of knowledge, words of wisdom, what to specifically sometimes to pray for the person who's going to be in that chair. And he prays through that whole auditorium before they ever meet. Uh, every, every day or every time they meet, they, he's praying through that whole sanctuary. That's why the glory was there. And he said that in his book. And you know what? I've stolen that idea. Every Friday now before we meet on Sunday mornings, you know what Pastor John's doing here in the sanctuary? Some of you guys that work here, or some of you guys that are worship people, some of you turn guys, I, you know what I'm talking about. I, I pray through every single chair in this place, and I pray for you before you're going to come and gather here on Sunday mornings, because I want you to experience the glory, because that glory is what's going to change you and change me. Amen? Glory. Glory. The glory of God changes us from glory to glory in his image. Verse 12. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses, who used to put the veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened for until this very day. In the reading of the veil of the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it's removed in Christ. But to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, what happens? The veil is taken away. Now, here's what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about his Jewish brethren. And he's saying, since Moses, in, in the coming of Christ, and the nation of Israel as a whole rejected Jesus to be their Messiah, what's happened during this time period of the church age is there's a veil over the hearts of his Jewish brethren. What does that mean? It means they're blinded to the gospel. And if you've ever witnessed to Jewish people, you'll see there's a hardness, not always, but oftentimes with Jewish people, there's a hardness in their heart towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's this veil over, this heart, over their hearts. And it's amazing to me because there's over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that specifically point in Jewish people's Old Testament scriptures point to Jesus being the Messiah. Specific scriptures like Isaiah 53 that points to the crucifixion. Uh, Psalm 22 that talks about the Messiah being pierced through. Uh, there's scripture after scripture after scripture about Jesus Christ. Micah 5.2 talks about that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah 7.14 says that, that he was going to be born of a virgin. And he was going to be Emmanuel, God with us. Scripture after scripture after scripture, but Jewish people as a whole have rejected Christ. And if you share those scriptures with them, there'll just be a hardening to that scripture. I've been told that the rabbis will not read their own scripture, Isaiah 53, in their synagogue services anymore because it so specifically points to Jesus Christ. And it breaks your heart because Jesus came for the Jew first. But here's the good news. Romans chapter 11, verses 25 and 26 says, when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, which I believe is the rapture, when the church, the Gentile church is raptured out of here, all of Israel will be saved. And the veil on their hearts and on their eyes will be taken away. And they're gonna come like never before to Jesus Christ during the great tribulation. But listen, this veil, this veil 
is on every human heart, really. Because of us being born in original sin, every human heart has a veil on it. We're told that in Corinthians. Later on in, in Corinthians, we're told, uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, in whose case the God of this world, who's Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We're all veiled in our natural state. We're blinded by the God of this world. So what takes off the blinders? The Spirit. The Spirit of God has come to convict the world in regards to sin, righteousness, and the judgment to come. And as you submit to the work of the Spirit in your life, the veil will come off. And that's why Jesus said, no one can enter the kingdom unless he's born again. Born again by what? By the Spirit of God, right? I remember again when it happened to me. <laughs> I remember being lost as a rock, hard-hearted, skeptical, having these Christians witness to me and just arguing with them. And I, I remember, but I remember starting to seek a little bit as they were witnessing to me, these Christians. And I remember going into the library at Oak Park River Forest High School, the high school I went to in Chicago. So, okay, I'm going to check this thing out. I'm going to go on and read one of these Christian periodicals. And I found a magazine. It's called Campus Life. And I started reading this. Before I came to Christ, I started reading this article that was just chalk-filled with Scripture. And as I read this article, I'm just going, this doesn't, this doesn't make any sense to me at all. And not only did I say that to myself, I says, I'm not going to live this way. They're telling me I can't do things here. And I just put the magazine away. Two months later, I came to Christ. And I opened my heart to Jesus. <laughs> and the blinders came off. The veil was taken away. And spiritual truth started being sown in my life. So I started having quiet times. I started going to a Bible study. I started going to church. And I started understanding some of these spiritual truths because I was born again by the Spirit. And you know what I did? This, this is great. I went back to that same library. And study hall, I don't know about you, when I had study hall, I would just try to figure out stuff to do. We were in study hall in that library. And I went back to that same Campus Life magazine, opened up, found the article I read two or three months before that didn't make sense to me at all. And I read it, same article, chock full with scripture, and the scripture started bouncing off the page. And I said, yeah, that makes sense. That's my... That can't be the same article. And it was. What was the difference? The Spirit of God had taken the veil away. And now it was spiritual just The natural man can't understand the things of the Spirit. But when you come to Christ, all of a sudden spiritual things make sense because you have the Holy Spirit to disclose truth to you and to open up the words of this book to you. That's the work of the Spirit. That's what Paul's talking about here. It's the veil is taken away as people turn to the Lord. Verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Liberty, freedom. Now careful with this verse. Please be careful with this verse. I've seen this verse be used, and if, you know, if you, if it, I've seen this verse be used by people that are hyper-Pentecostal to do weird things, and if you, if you try to rein them in, they're doing cartwheels down the middle aisle, and you try to say, no, we're not going to do that here. Hey, brother, where the Spirit of the Lord is. There's liberty. I'm going to keep doing cartwheels. No, that's not what it's saying. What is it talking about with liberty? It's not liberty to do weird things, okay? It's liberty to be free. Because Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, what? You shall be free indeed. Free from what? 
free from addictions, free from sin, chaining you down, free from fear, free from anxiety, free from being lost, free. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you what? Free. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, talks about this same issue. And it says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Ooh, I like that. You know why I like it? Because I don't want to be controlled or mastered under the tyranny of anything but Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ said to me, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble heart, and you shall find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I hear some people say, well, I don't want to come to Christ because he's going to take away my freedom. If I come to Christ, I won't be able to do this, I won't be able to do this, I won't be able to do this, I won't do, that is foolishness. Christ isn't going to take your freedom away. He's going to give you freedom. He's going to break the chains, man. He says, if the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. And our verse right there is where the Spirit of the Lord is. There's liberty. There's freedom. And I value that freedom. Again, the son of a dad that struggled with alcoholism, I saw chains on my dad. My dad was a good man. But the chains got him with that alcoholism. And one of the things I learned from growing up in that is I don't want to be mastered by anything but Jesus Christ. I want freedom. I want freedom. And when I start seeing things getting a hold of me and grabbing me and getting under their tyranny, I, I want to keep a short account and repent quickly and confess my sin so he could be faithful and just forgive my sin and cleanse me and get back on track on freedom because there's nothing better than living in the freedom of Jesus Christ and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, liberty. All right, let's close it up. Last verse, verse 18. But we all with unveiled face Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, oh, that's a great verse, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, who is what? Spirit, 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 spirit. Okay, here, get this. You've got to get this last verse. This is, this is a foundational verse for everything we're talking about right here. You want freedom? You want a changed heart? You want adequacy to do what God's called you to do? If you want all these things that the Spirit wants to work in your life, then you need to be people that on a regular basis are beholding the face of Jesus Christ through prayer, through being in the Word, through being in church. Church is where you behold the face of Jesus Christ and worship and hearing from His Word, through daily devotional time where you're spending time just beholding His face. And as you behold His face, what does that verse say is going to happen? It's great. You're going to be transformed from glory to glory into his image. Hmm. The word transform, metamorpho. Guess what English word we get from that? It's the word where that little caterpillar that's kind of crawling on its belly across the hot pavement and just, you know, when I'm driving in my car, 
And, and if I'm going real slow, like down the street that goes to my little turnoff road and stuff, if I see a little caterpillar, I'll swerve to miss that caterpillar. Now, if I see a snake, I'll run over it. <laughs> the world needs fewer snakes, right? <laughs> Especially if it's one of those copperheads that's poisonous. Oh, I'll run over and put it in reverse. <laughs> but if it's a caterpillar... I'll swerve, because I feel so sorry for that little caterpillar. It takes him like hours to get across that street, and he's, he's on his belly, like this, swerve around it. Don't get that caterpillar, John, right? But what happens when that caterpillar metamorphosizes? Ooh, gets up in the cocoon, and up in the cocoon, it's a process, yeah, but it goes from sliding on its belly across asphalt, almost getting hit by guys like me. What happens at the end of the cocoon phase? Woo! I'm not flying on the asphalt anymore, or sliding on my belly anymore in the asphalt. I'm flying over that road now. I just, I'll, I'll go tree to tree, woo, like this. What's the analogy for us? The analogy for us is, yeah, we're sliding through this world right now. It's tough. It's asphalt, and it's, it's a sin-cursed, filthy world. But, hey, we're in a cocoon process now that we've come to Christ. If you've come to Christ, you're in a cocoon. And you're being transformed, metamorphosed, from glory to glory, into his image. And when the cocoon, the process is finished. Listen, when the process is finished, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, you're going to see his face. And then we too will be like him. And we're going to be flying. Uh, one of the things I'm looking forward to in heaven is we're going to have immortal, imperishable bodies. The older I get, the more I'm looking forward to that. But uh, one other thing we're going to have when we get to heaven is we're going to have powerful, resurrected bodies. And I think we'll have the ability, just like Jesus, to poof in and out of places. I think we'll have the ability to go from the new heaven to the new earth, whoo, like this. I believe cars are a part of the curse. Some of you didn't get that, did you? They're always breaking down, flat tires, having mechanics, all this. We're, we're, when we get to heaven, we're going to have immortal, imperishable bodies that are going to be transportable, I believe. That's part of the powers that we'll have in the next life. But the greatest thing about the immortal, imperishable bodies when we get to heaven is they're going to be perfectly conformed into the image of Christ by the Spirit. Sin is going to be gone. Pain is going to be gone. Our natural knee-jerk reaction to do the wrong thing, gone. Perfectly conformed in the image of Christ. And what's the image of Christ? It's the image of love. It's the image of truth. It's the image of holiness. It's the image of strength. It's the image of glory. All those things are going to be given to us when we see his face, and we too will be like him. In the meantime, what are we supposed to be doing? People that are putting ourselves, we'll be putting ourselves in the presence of God on a daily basis, on a weekly basis with church, so that we could have those times in his glory where he could be changing us from image to image into his glory. That's what, we, that's what church is all about. I don't get it when people don't prioritize church. I don't get it 
when people say, well, I'll come on Christmas and Easter. I'm one of those Christmas and Easter guys. Besides that, I got lake and golf, all this other stuff. No, you, hey, if you're a believer, you want to get in, run into God's presence because he's a strong tower and the righteous run into it. Amen? And this is the place where we get changed. But also, daily, it's important to have those times <laughs> where you just spend time in his word as you begin your day or end your day and you spend time in prayer, you spend time in worship and you behold his face individually so he could change you from glory to glory into his image. So what do we learn about the spirit, the work of the spirit? The Holy Spirit changes our hearts. The Holy Spirit gives us adequacy, sufficiency and competency. The Holy Spirit brings God's glory into our lives. The Holy Spirit takes the veil away. The Holy Spirit gives us freedom. And lastly, the Holy Spirit, metamorpho, transforms us to be more and more like Jesus Christ. And some of you here this morning, I think with a group this size, there's some people here this morning probably that you're going, shoo. You're like me with that Campus Life magazine in the library saying, shoo, this stuff is just going over my head. I don't know what that bald preacher up there is talking about. I just don't get it. You know why? You know why you don't get it? Because you don't got it yet. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. You need Jesus so the Spirit can come into your life as a deposit, as a seal, and take away the veil from your heart and your eyes. And what Labor Day weekend, Baptism Sunday, what a, there's not a better time for you to, to allow the veil to go away and receive Christ. The Bible says what you need to do is admit your sin. The Bible says all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says also that you need to trust Christ. The Bible says, but as many as receive Christ, he gives the right to become children of God, even those who believe in his name. And the Bible also says you need to confess him as your Lord. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So if you're here this morning and you want to do that, I'm going to give you the, the time this morning to do that during our prayer time. I'm going to pray a simple prayer, a sinner's prayer. And if you open your heart to Christ, he'll come in and he'll give you the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit will start working in your life, like it worked in my life 40 years ago. And he'll start changing you, not for the worse, for the better. He'll start setting you free, man. He'll start breaking chains. He'll start giving you adequacy and competency to do those things that God's called you to do. And if you're here this morning and you want to do that, I'll give you an opportunity to do it during our prayer time. Let's pray right now. Father, we just thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit. Thank you that your Holy Spirit's at work in this church and in our lives. Thank you, Father, that you've given us the Holy Spirit to be our helper, to help us in regards to changing our hearts from stone to hearts of flesh and hearts that seek you, God. Thank you that your Holy Spirit's been given to us to give us sufficiency and competency and adequacy in Christ. Strength. Thank you, Father, that you've given us your Holy Spirit to bring us into your glory, God, and to help us to experience your glory, God. Thank you, Father, too, that the Holy Spirit's taking the veil away and teaching us spiritual truths, helping us to understand those truths in the Spirit. Thank you, Father, too, for the freedom that you've given us and the change that you've broken, Lord, the way you've set us free in Christ. Thank you, Father, too, for the way you're transforming us as we behold your face. You're transforming us from glory to glory into the image of Christ. Thank you that that work will be completed when we get to heaven, but we're in a cocoon phase right now, Lord. 
You're changing us as we submit to you and we have relationship with you, Jesus. You're metamorphosizing us to be more and more like Christ. Thank you for that, Lord. Father, I pray for anybody that might be here this morning that wants to come to Christ. They want to admit their sin. They want to trust Christ to be their Savior. They want to receive Christ into their hearts this morning so the veil could be taken away, so the chains could be broken, so that they'd be given a new life in Christ. If you're here this morning and you want to do that, I'd love to pray for you this morning. Here's what I want you to do. If you want me to pray for you to receive Christ and to ask Christ into your heart, just raise your hand right now, and I'll pray for you right now, right back here in the back corner. Praise the Lord. Raise your hand this morning if you want to. Back, back there in the back theater seats. I'm looking across the uh, sanctuary right now. Anybody else? Back here are two people. Back here in the back row back here. Praise the Lord. Great decision. Now, if you raise your hand, keep your hands up. I'm going to pray for you in just a minute. Anybody else? If you want to receive Christ this morning and allow God's Holy Spirit to come in your life and give you a whole new life in Christ, raise your hands right back here. Anybody else this morning? Keep your hands up if you want to do that this morning. All right. Holy Spirit's drawing some people here this morning. Don't be afraid to receive Christ into your heart and the Holy Spirit will work in your life. Anybody else? Before I pray. All right, for those that have their hands raised, I want you to be bold right now. I want you to stand up right now and I'll pray for you. Stand up. Don't be afraid to stand up for Christ. Stand up right now and I'll pray for you. Praise the Lord right back here. Praise the Lord. Wonderful. All right, pray this prayer with me. Those that are standing, just pray this prayer with me right now. Lord Jesus, pray it out loud. Lord Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. Lord Jesus, I trust you to be my Savior. Come into my life, forgive my sin, and I will live for you the rest of my life in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Way to go, guys. Praise the Lord. Let's all stand.